I think that prayer is probably something that is misunderstood quite often. I think that many times people look at prayer as sort of a sales pitch. We feel that God is reluctant to do certain things and we must convince Him that He ought to do it. And so we are oftentimes sort of giving a sales pitch to God in prayer. Prayer becomes a classic sales pitch. Now God, if you will do this, this is what I'm going to do. You know, and we sort of try to strike a bargain with God. And if that doesn't work, then sometimes we revert to threats. If you don't do this, God, then I'm checking out. Reminded of the little boy who was praying for a bicycle. And he was, first of all, using the sales approach. God, if you'll give me a bike, I'll go around on Saturday to all the elderly people and I'll get their grocery orders and I'll ride to the grocery store and I'll, I'll carry groceries back to their houses, Lord. I'll, I'll use the bike to serve you. I'll do it in the name of the Lord. And, and, and I'll, I'll just, you know, use this bike, Lord, in, in, in helping people. After praying that way for a while with no bike forthcoming, he finally went into the living room and took the statue of Mary off the table and put it under his mattress and he said, Okay, God, if you want to see your mother again, you better get me a bike. I think that one of the mysteries of heaven, because the Bible says that the angels really desired to look into this grace that God has bestowed upon us. The Bible sort of gives us the idea that angels are sort of watching over us and watching us. And I think that one of the mysteries among the angels is that when God has given us the potential for power and the potential for seeing things done, that we don't use it more than we do. I'm certain that as we find ourselves getting into a situation and we get all frustrated and we get all upset and we, you know, are going through this whole thing. I'm sure the angels are saying, why don't they pray? Don't they know that God is ready to help them and wanting to help them? Why don't they pray? And I'm sure it's a mystery when God has given us such a powerful weapon against the forces of darkness that we don't use it more and more often. Prayer is the greatest outlet of spiritual power that we have. There's one inlet of power for the believer and that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But there are five outlets of spiritual power. The first is your life. What you are living in a relationship with God. As you are just living in a relationship with God, His Holy Spirit upon your life, your life, oftentimes even unconscious to you, is exerting a power upon those around you. 
You don't have to necessarily say anything. But people are watching you. And they recognize that there is something about you that's different. It's interesting, I have been shopping in a certain store for quite some time and have come to know a lot of the employees in the store. Now, I have never had an opportunity to really give any verbal witness to them. Pleasant greetings. Every time, you know, when you are checking out, they say, well, how are you today? And I always say, tremendous, you know, and they like that. (laughs) But it's interesting how that oftentimes when I'm in the store, one of the employees will come up to me and they'll start sharing a problem that they're going through. And they'll say, would you pray for me? Somehow they know that I'm in contact with God. Your life. People are observing. People are watching. And your life becomes an outlet of spiritual power. The second outlet of spiritual power is your words. The verbal witnessing and testifying for Jesus Christ. The verbal sharing of your faith. But it must be acknowledged that your words can never be more than your life. And many times your words are discounted because of your life. You may be saying the right things, but because of your life, people don't pay any attention to what you say. What you say is important, and it's important that you do witness for Christ, but it can never be greater than your life. I've heard some of the finest orators in the world. Their speeches were filled with clever stories and just fascinating. The words roll out of their mouths like oil, just flow so smoothly and easily. But they flow off of me just as easily as they flow out of their mouths. It doesn't make any impact. It just is up here, but that's all the further it goes. I was on vacation several years ago up at Bass Lake and there was a little church that the family went to that Sunday morning and there was a lady there from Kentucky who was speaking that morning. I mean, did she ever destroy the King's English? Her grammar was horrible. She sounded like she had marbles in her mouth when she talked. She had a southern accent. But you know, I know a little bit about what those disciples felt when they were on the road to Emmaus and later said, did not our hearts burn within us as he shared the scriptures with us on the way? And though she was just a simple person, Yet as she spoke, it touched my heart. It moved me. It's not with what eloquence that you speak, but it's what's behind it, the experience, the life, the dynamic of the Spirit can be released through your words. Another outlet of spiritual power is service. What you do for the Lord. Now, a lot of people feel that this is the most important outlet of spiritual power. And they're always emphasizing what you should be doing for the Lord. 
And they make a tremendous emphasis upon service. But let me just say to you that I believe that service is important. I'm not diminishing service at all. But I do not believe that you can do anything of real worth for the Lord or for the kingdom of God until you've first done it in prayer. Jesus said, you first of all bind the strong men in the, of the house and then you go in and take the spoils. And I believe that prayer is binding the strong man of the house, and service is just taking the spoils. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do anything of real value for the Lord in service until you have prayed. And this is why we're here tonight, to encourage you and to exhort you unto prayer. The success of the campaign rest upon the prayer of God's people that go up for the campaign. Money is another outlet of spiritual power, not what you spend on yourself, but that which you release for the Lord's work. And I believe that we're going to find that God has a very interesting accounting system when we get to heaven. And that money that we've released for the work of the Lord that has helped bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to some individual. I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to discover those investments that were made for the kingdom of God. We'll be able to see the dividends. And I believe that you'll have people coming up to you from India and saying, you know, you don't know me. But when I got here, I had them check the records and I found out that you were the one that supported the missionary that brought me the gospel. So you are sort of responsible for me being here. These are all important outlets of spiritual power, but surely the greatest and the most powerful outlet is that of prayer. The fascinating thing about prayer is that it's not limited to locality. You see, that's one of the restrictions of service. My serving the Lord, it's limited to a locality. I'm here tonight with you. While I'm here with you tonight, I can't be serving my church in Costa Mesa. I'll have to get in a plane and get my body back to California. But you see, service is limited to locality. Whereas prayer is not limited to locality. You can go home, go into your closet, shut the door, and spend an hour of your life in China before you go to bed tonight. Doing a work for God. Accomplishing things for the kingdom of God. And then if you want, you can head over to Africa for a while. And then to Russia. And, and you can go around the world as you're kneeling there next to your bed. Influencing lives, touching people's hearts, opening hearts to the gospel message. And of course you can... Go throughout the state of New Mexico. And even tonight, as you pray, God will begin to move in hearts and lives as you bind the powers of darkness, as was shared a little earlier, that we might deliver them from the captivity of the enemy who has taken them captive from the God of this world who has blinded their eyes and you can open their eyes that they might see the truth of God and the truth of God's Word. It's interesting how that we are so prone to put people in categories. 
And you have certain people that you know that you've got all categorized. There's some of them that you're saying, well, I'm going to concentrate on them because I think they're really close. They seem to be interested and they're asking the right questions. And so I'm going to concentrate on them. And then there are others you think, <laughs> no sense praying for them. I mean, they're so far. And, and, and oh, you know, don't waste time praying for them. But I want you to do something. I want you to take some of those that you look at as impossible, the hardest hearts. I want them, you to put them at the top of your list. Because God so often saves the most unlikely people. People that we think are so far away are the ones that God so often touches. I don't think that in the city of Sychar anybody thought that little huzzy would ever be touched by the things of God. She was almost an outcast. Generally, the women would go together in the early morning to the well to draw water before it got hot. And it was a social time for the ladies. Going together, it was a time of talking over the things of, you know, what's going on and how the kids are doing and all. And they would draw their water in the morning and it would be a social event around the well and all. But this lady was going out at noon because none of the other ladies wanted to associate with her. They were a little afraid of her because she knew her way around men really well. And they were sort of protective of their husbands and sort of fearful. She was pretty savvy. As she came to the well, she saw a man, no doubt of striking demeanor. And he was sitting there, and as she came up, he said, would you give me a drink? And I think she was always open for a new challenge. And I think her question why do you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. I think that was sort of a come on. I think she was sort of cuting herself. Why are you asking me for a drink? You know. <laughs> well, I'm a Samaritan, you know. You're not supposed to be talking to me. And Jesus said, Woman, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, and if you knew the gift of God, you'd be asking him for a drink. And still with her pert little cute ways, <laughs> why would I ask you for a drink? That well is deep and you don't have anything to draw with. And Jesus said, well, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink the water that I give, you will never thirst again. It will be like a well of living water just springing up within. Sit far out. I'll take some of that water so I don't have to come out here every day and draw. 
And Jesus said, well, first, go get your husband. I'm not married. I'm available. And Jesus went, You're not married? Okay, I'll accept that. You've been married five times, and this last fellow, you just moved in. You didn't bother to marry him. Okay, I'll buy that. You're not married. She said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers say, We're to worship God in this mountain. You Jews say we're to worship Him in Jerusalem. Where can I find God? Now I'm sure that she would have been voted the most unlikely person to receive Christ in all of Sychar. I'm sure they'd taken a poll of the city. She would have been the furthest away in the minds of the people. A lot of people are covering with a veneer, a facade, a mask. The truth of the desperation of their heart for something that will satisfy There's an emptiness within. There's a thirst within. And they spend their lives trying to convince people that they are something other than they really are. And they have one exterior, but inside it's something entirely different. There's a loneliness. There's an emptiness and there's a thirst and there's a hunger. Isn't it interesting when Jesus ripped off the mask? What was her first question? When suddenly she realized, I'm not fooling this guy at all. I'm not snowing him. He's seeing inside of me. He knows the truth about me. He ripped off the mask and what did she say? Basically, where can I find God? Our fathers say we're to find God in this mountain. You Jews say we have to go to Jerusalem. Where? Because deep within the heart of every man, God has placed a longing, a desire for God. We try to substitute. We try to do everything to fill the void. But as Jesus said, you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. And you ought to write that over every worldly ambition that you have. Every goal that you've set. Everything that you have set and said, if I could just have this, oh, then I would be satisfied. Right over the top of it. Drink of this water, but you will thirst again. I'll guarantee it can't satisfy. You'll thirst again. There's only one thing that will satisfy that deep spiritual craving for God that God has built into every man. And that's a personal relationship with God made possible through Jesus Christ. And so don't neglect to pray for a person just because you've sort of figured they're too hard. They get too angry when I talk to them about the Lord. They'll never receive. You don't know what's going on inside the heart. There's another one in the New Testament that I'm certain that 
had you taken a poll of the church, Peter, John, and all those fellows, they would have put at the top of the list of no ways. No way would they ever become a Christian. And that was Paul the Apostle. I'm sure that the early church wrote him off. No way would he ever believe in Jesus Christ. Paul testifies of his own experience. He calls himself the chiefest of of sinners. Uh, or This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And testifying of himself, he said, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. He told King Agrippa of how that he thought to destroy this sect, hailing them into prison, voting the death sentence on them, forcing them to blaspheme Jesus Christ, and even being empowered by the high priest, was going into strange cities to put into prison the believers. And we read concerning him as he was heading for Damascus that he was breathing threats of murder against them. He was as far, as far away you would think as a person could be. And yet, there on the road to Damascus, at least there were two who prayed for him. Number one was Jesus. Paul, in speaking of his own conversion, said, but God was merciful because I did it ignorantly. Do you remember the prayer of Jesus when they were nailing him to the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Paul, being a member of the Sanhedrin, no doubt was in on that whole trial and, and, and sentencing of Jesus. When the high priest said, what do you say? He's worthy of death. I, Paul could have been one of those saying, he's worthy of death. But he said, I did it ignorantly. It could be that Paul was even near the cross and as they were driving the spikes in the hands of Jesus, heard him pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Paul said, I did it ignorantly. He was one of those, didn't know what he was doing. And then there was Stephen. Paul was holding the coats to facilitate the stoning of Stephen so that those fellows that were throwing the stones would not be encumbered by their coats. And he was there aiding and abetting in the stoning of Stephen. And he heard Stephen's prayer. Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. Those prayers were gnawing at him. when he was on his way to Damascus, breathing threats of murder against the believers. There was a warfare going on inside. And the rebellion was only because there was something that was happening inside of him. He was fighting it with all that he had. Because what were the words? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he responded, Who are you, Lord, that I might serve you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. The Spirit was goading 
prayers. You don't know, but that person that you look at and think of as sort of impossible, Spirit is goading them. Your prayers can bring them over the hump. Your prayers can bring them into the kingdom. As was pointed out, the reason why people don't accept Jesus Christ is because Satan has blinded their eyes. That they cannot see the truth. Have you noticed that there are people who are perfectly sane and rational to talk with on any subject in the world but Jesus Christ? And the moment you bring up the name or the subject of Jesus Christ, they go ballistic? Why? Because Satan has so blinded their eyes and has so prejudiced their minds against Jesus Christ, they are held in such bondage, captivity by Satan, that when the mention of the name of Jesus is brought up in a conversation, their bodies just seem to recoil and they lose all sense of balance and gentleness and rationality and they just go. Now through prayer, you can bind the strong man of the house. Through prayer, you can bind that blinding influence of Satan. The power that Satan has over their minds and over their lives. You can bind that through prayer. And Jesus said, whatsoever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. God has given to you authority. This is a spiritual battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. One of our problems is that we've been trying to use carnal methods to reach them. And whenever we start to get together with them and we start, you know, maybe some little programmed uh, speech or method of witnessing and they just blow up, well, back off. Get out the big artillery. Start lobbing in those 155s, you know. And they start getting blown to pieces, but they don't know what's happening, where it's coming from. You know, if you go up directly, then they'll strike out at you when you're way back there lobbing from a distance. Things are exploding all around them. They don't know what's happening. Prayer. Oh, what a powerful weapon. The weapons of our warfare. Not carnal, but they are mighty through God to what? Pulling down the strongholds of the enemy. The enemy has a stronghold on their lives. But you can pull down the strongholds of the enemies. I would encourage you between now and the beginning of the crusade, start concentrated prayer on many of these people. Make your list. And put those toughest ones at the top of the list. Not only can you bind the work of Satan that is blinding their eyes and holding them captive, but you can release the work of God's Spirit in touching their hearts and beginning to open their hearts so that when they hear the gospel presented, their hearts will be open and receptive. Whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so loose the work of God's Spirit within their hearts and lives. The one wonderful thing about praying for the lost is that we don't have to worry about the will of God. The Bible says if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, then we've received the petitions that we've asked of Him. The key is asking according to the will of God. 
Uh, one of the problems of prayer, of course, James says, you, you uh, have not because you ask not, and that's, that's one. A lot of times you, you don't have just because you haven't asked. Number two, you ask and receive not. Oh yeah, that's the rub. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss to consume it on your own lust. And so God's will has to be involved in prayer. What's everything's, you know, that you pray for that are according to His will, He hears, and if He hears, then we answer. But we do know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you can pray in confidence, knowing that you're praying according to the will of God. Dwight Moody, who was one of the great evangelists of the last, I was going to say generation, but probably a little longer ago than that. One of the great evangelists in the history of America his Moody Tabernacle had burned down in the great Chicago fire and so while they were rebuilding it he went over to England to hear some of the great ministers over there he especially desired to hear Spurgeon and testifying of his experience there, he said he was so following after man that he said one Sunday afternoon, he listened to Spurgeon preach in one place, and then he said he jogged for several miles to hear him that night speak again. He said that's how I was sort of following after a man. While he was there, he went to, and they used to have these meetings on Saturday nights around London, uh, and they were sort of, uh, oh, they, they had testimonies. People would get up and, and give a testimony of what God had done or what God was doing in their lives or some special thing that God had done. And these were rather popular meetings on Saturday nights in England. And so, in one of these meetings, there in London, Moody stood up and gave his testimony. He said that he was from America. He had a church there in Chicago, told of the fire. And he had come over to England to listen to some of the great preachers there in England. After that meeting, a pastor came up to him and said, uh, Sir, I, I wondered, would you come and speak at my church tomorrow morning and evening? And Moody said, well, yes, I would be glad to. And so uh, he gave him the address and the time of the services. And so Moody went to that church that Sunday morning. And he said when he got up to speak, it was as cold as a mausoleum. He said the people were like they were all dead. No response. No laughter at his jokes. No reaction to his stories. He said it was horrible. Towards the end of the message, he found himself thinking, how can I get out of coming back tonight? I don't want to ever speak to a group like this again as long as I live. And he was trying to figure out a way, an excuse that he could give to the pastor where he wouldn't have to come back that evening. But because he had given his word, he returned that evening. And about halfway, Moody said, through the sermon, there was a dramatic change came over the whole congregation. He said he could feel it. Suddenly there was an attentiveness to what he was saying. Suddenly the people were sort of sitting on the edges of their seats. They were listening. There was a warmth. He said you could just feel it. It came down. It was like 
the ice had melted and now there's just this warmth of God's Spirit and love came over the meeting. So that when he closed his message, he said, how many of you would like to receive Jesus Christ tonight as your Savior? He said, hands went up all over the place. He turned to the pastor and he said, what does it mean? And the pastor said, I don't know, but keep going. (laughs) He said, I thought they misunderstood me. So he said, I again gave the invitation, this time making it very, very clear. You want to repent of your sins. You want to ask Jesus Christ to come in and be the Lord of your life. You want to turn your life over to Him and start living for Jesus. Stand to your feet. And all over, whole rows of people were standing to their feet. Again, he turned around to the pastor and he said, What does it mean? He said, I don't know, but keep going. So he said, Culture. I'm an American. These are, they don't understand altar calls or invitations here in England. And so again, once more, he explained just as clearly as he could the call to commit your life to follow Jesus Christ. He said, meet me downstairs in the fellowship hall. And he went downstairs and the place was crowded with people who followed in the sinner's prayer. There were tears. There was weeping. There was just a a move of God's Spirit. He left early the next morning for Scotland. As soon as he arrived in Edinburgh, there was a wire there for him. It says, please return to London as quickly as possible. The people are coming to church and wanting to hear more. So he went back to London and in two weeks he said he had more people come to Christ than he had ever had in his ministry up to that point. And he said, I recognized that something happened and I didn't understand or know what it was, but I was determined to find out what happened to change the atmosphere and and to change the hearts of the people. And I was determined. I, I knew it wasn't my preaching. I knew it wasn't me. But I knew that there was something that was going on. And as he began to try to find the answers and was ferreting out, one day he was led to an upstairs bedroom and introduced to a lady who was an invalid. About five years earlier, as a result of a stroke, she had become an invalid. And as she was lying there in her bed, she said, Lord, here I am, confined to a bed. I always said one day I wanted to serve you. And now it's too late. Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't serve you when I had the chance. Forgive me, Lord. And the Spirit spoke to her heart and said, you can still serve the Lord through prayer. And so this woman became an intercessor. Her sister, who was a dear Christian and who took care of her, would bring her material to read and would bring her meals. And her sister went to that church. And every time when she would come home from church and fix the lunch and bring it up to her, she'd say, well, how were services today at church? And the sister would say, well, just pretty much the same. Well, in one of the magazines that her sister brought to her, there was an article by a young minister in America by the name of 
D.L. Moody. This invalid lady began to pray, God, send D.L. Moody to our church to bring a revival. And daily she was praying, God, send this young man, D.L. Moody, to our church to bring a revival. That particular Sunday when her sister brought her lunch up to her, she said, well, how were services today? She said, oh, pretty much as usual. Pretty dead. But we did have a young man from America as a guest speaker. His name was D.L. Moody. She said, take my lunch away and don't let anybody near this afternoon. And she spent that afternoon in heavy intercessory prayer. And Moody later testified, I'm wise enough to know that it wasn't me that brought the moving of God's Spirit in that meeting and began a whole new ministry for me. It wasn't me. It was that woman's prayer. You know, I think of Jesus when they had nailed his hands to the cross. From Luke's gospel, it would seem to indicate that while they were nailing him, is when he prayed, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It, it sort of shows to me that, you know, when every other avenue of service is cut off for us, we can still pray. Jesus couldn't reach out his hands and touch the leper anymore. They were being held fast to the cross, but he could still pray. Actually, you remember on the day of Pentecost, when Peter gave the message, some 3,000 people accepted Jesus? When they said to Peter, Men and brethren, what shall we do since we've crucified the Lord of glory? He said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. For I know that in ignorance you did it. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There the prayer of Jesus was being answered and souls were being saved. And your prayers can make the difference between life and death for many people in this area. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. God, I believe, is giving to Albuquerque a tremendous opportunity to see a move of God that can start here and sweep across this state. I believe that God is giving you the opportunity of seeing the hand of God at work in places that you never dreamed possible. God said, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I would encourage you, between now and the beginning of the crusade, no TV. I believe that if you would spend the time that you would generally turn on the tube and just sit there and vegetate, I would suggest that if you would spend that time in prayer, you'll see the mighty hand of God moving across this city, across this county, across this state. God is giving you the opportunity. God said to the church of Philadelphia, I have set before you an open door. I believe God is setting before you an open door. And if you'll move in and if you'll pray You'll be blessed as you see the hand of God moving in a mighty way. And oh, in these days, when the powers of darkness have just about taken full control, 
how we need to see the hand of God at work. In Second Chronicles, when the prophet came to King Asa, rebuking him for trusting in the flesh rather than trusting in the Lord, he said, don't you know that the hand of the Lord goes to and fro throughout the entire earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him? Don't you know God wants to work? God desires to work. But God has chosen to use human instruments through which to do his work. But the glorious truth is you can be the instrument. And through your prayers, many can be brought into the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our prayerlessness. For we recognize that that is a sin. For we remember, Lord, when the people came to Samuel and said, Samuel, we've sinned, but don't stop praying for us. He said that he would not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray. The Lord, some of us have sinned against you by ceasing to pray. But draw us back again, Lord, to that place of prayer, to that place of fellowship where we might join hands with you in the accomplishing of your purposes and your work in saving the lost. And so, Lord, we do pray for a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God over this whole area. And let it begin, Lord, with us as we commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to pray without ceasing to see the hand of God move mightily through these meetings in the start of a work that will go on and on until it affects every citizen of this state. In Jesus' name we pray.